Hi, my name is Martha. The Old Testament reading is found in Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, King David's son from Israel. Their purpose is to teach wisdom and discipline, to help one understand wise sayings. They provide insightful instruction, which is righteous, just, and full of integrity. They make the naive mature, the young knowledgeable and discreet. The wise hear them and grow in wisdom. Those with understanding gain guidance. They help one another, they help one understand proverbs and difficult sayings, the words of the wise and their puzzles. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is found in James three thirteen to 18. Are any of you wise and understanding? Show that your actions are good with a humble lifestyle that comes from wisdom. However, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, then stop bragging and living in ways that deny the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Instead, it is from the earth natural, and demonic. Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and everything that is evil. What of the wisdom from above? First, it is pure, and then peaceful, gentle, obedient, filled with mercy and good actions, fair and genuine. Those who make peace sow the seeds of justice, by their peaceful acts, the word of the Lord. If you are able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Matthew seven, twenty-four through twenty-seven. Everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house. It didn't fall because it was firmly set on bedrock. But everybody who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice will be like a fool who built a house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against the house. It fell and was completely destroyed. The gospel of the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Martha. Please remain standing with me as we pray. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you today and we ask the, the way that Solomon asked, would you make us wise? <laughs> would you help us to be the kind of people that hear the words of God and not just listen to them in a way that creates more information? But would you help us to be the people that take them and build our life upon them? We want to build our life on the bedrock of your word. So would you help us? Would you teach us? Would you show us? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and everybody said, amen, amen. amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Happy June. It is here. It's warm. It's sunny. 
It is nice outside. I think it's supposed to be, maybe it's going to rain a little bit today, but it's green right now. It's like the four weeks out of the year that we get to see green in Colorado. So we're embracing it as much as we can. Hello to everybody who's online. We love you. We miss you. Hope that you are doing well. My wife and I have now been at New Life Downtown for about four and a half years, uh, which means that my stories are going to start repeating. I mean, so I'm going to share a story, and some of you might like, I've heard this one before, and just go with me because it's going to happen again and probably, you know, in two weeks and then two weeks after that, Um, because there's a limited amount of stories that are, you know, appropriate to share in this context. Um, So the first time I ever remember uh, thinking that God was speaking to me through the Bible was actually before I became a Christian. Uh, It was my sophomore year in high school, and you've heard some of the stories around this year that I came to faith, and the girlfriend that broke up with me on Valentine's Day. This is a story that happens right before that, as this girlfriend and I, I knew we were in trouble, uh, and there was another guy in the picture. And, you know, it was one of those situations where I probably just should have said, I think we're done, you know, but instead there was something about my sophomore, like immature, insecure self. But what what if I try this? And maybe what if I do that? And, you know, all of that anxious energy trying to say like, well, maybe if I, if I do this or if I stop doing this, then maybe that she'll like me more rather than realizing the writing is on the wall at this point. And so I remember sitting at a basketball game with my friend Ted and this other guy came and sat down right in front of us and begins talking about my girlfriend. And I'm getting furious and thinking to myself, I'm going to punch him. Like, that's my only option at this point, is that I just need to hit him right here in the middle of the basketball game. Let's let a fight break out on the bleachers. I mean, maybe we'll make ESPN at this point, like if if something like that happens in our small town in Iowa. Uh, And my friend Ted, being a kind soul, said, hey, man, let's get out of here. Like, let's just go. And so we go back to Ted's house. And I'm furious. I'm, you know, sort of pacing around and um, saying things I shouldn't say. And uh, I'm angry. And like, oh, I... And then I'm like, I got to go to the bathroom. (laughs) So I I walk into Ted's bathroom. And as as far as I know, like Ted's family was not a a, a faith-filled family. They're not people that that I knew, like, that were Christians or that were going to church. Uh, They were sort of just like every other family in my hometown. Just like they belonged to a church probably. But what that meant varied drastically. And I walk into Ted's bathroom. And there on the wall is like a a, a cross-stitch sort of thing on on the wall in the bathroom. And it says this. This is a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person keeps himself quietly under control. <laughs> like, oh, really? <laughs> Thanks, God. We're starting a new series today through the book of Proverbs called How Do I? The book of Proverbs, along with the book of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes, are this sort of set of three books in the Old Testament that are often described or called wisdom literature, that their intent and their purpose is to help make the people of God wise. They're asking the question, what is the good life? And how do I live life well? They're wanting to sort of get around this idea that there is a way of living that leads to life 
and there's a way of living that leads elsewhere. And so what does it mean to live the good life? How do we live well in God's world? And these books all presuppose that God made this place. That God created the world and he created the world good and that he designed it and ordered it to work in a particular way. You could say that he designed it that there's a, there's a grain in the universe. And we can either live with that grain or we can live against the grain. And wisdom is about learning to live with the grain of the universe. Live in God's world the, the way that God intended us to live within the place that he created. And so wisdom for the ancient Israel is not simply about acquiring information or gaining knowledge. That is a part of it, but wisdom is more like learning a craft. It's something bigger than that. Yes, it involves some aspect of information, but it's more about skill and technique and awareness and adjustment and discernment and information all sort of working together. So it's less like Jeopardy and more like Chef's Table, right? Being a contestant on Jeopardy, you just have to hit a button and give information. But to end up on Chef's Table, you have to have been developing a craft over a long period of time and learned how to do things with food that none of us thought were possible and just make us hungry watching it. Eugene Peterson said it this way. He said, wisdom is the art of living skillfully in whatever conditions we find ourselves in. I love that. Wisdom is the art of living skillfully. So it's not just adding more things to our brains, but about learning an art, about how to live well in God's world. Not only do they presuppose that God made the world, but the wisdom ledger also supposes that in God's good world, the wise will thrive that those that live with the grain of the universe will find themselves thriving in this place. Sometimes said that the righteous will prosper and the foolish or the wicked will suffer. That this is the kind of language that comes out. And this is especially true in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is often described as just practical wisdom. That this is the way that you're to live in God's world. But we know and so did ancient Israel, that it doesn't always work out that way. <laughs> that as, as neat and tidy as that sounds, that we live in a fallen world where there are forces at work that are beyond our control and our understanding. That yes, this is God's good world, and yes, God is at work in his world, but it's also a world in which every square inch is being fought for. Right, that there, is, there are foolish people and there are evil people and we live in close proximity with them and sometimes that upsets our own apple cart. And that there are evil forces at work in the world. So there are times when the righteous suffer and the fools and wicked seem to prosper. We're like, no, it's not supposed to be this way. And that's where Job and Ecclesiastes come in. Right? Job and Ecclesiastes are exploring that idea. That's why they're called philosophical wisdom. What happens when things don't go the way that we think that they are going to go? And so there are going to be times in this series where we're going to appeal to those other books. 
in order to help us nuance or name tensions that we find within the world. But our focus is going to be on Proverbs, on practical wisdom, on the things that we find in the scriptures that tell us how is it that we live in God's world. And so today we're going to start with a kind of an introductory sermon called, How Do I Become Wise?, And we're going to begin in Proverbs chapter 1 and kind of spend some time in the first seven verses there. So if you have your Bible with you and you want to open that up and follow along your smartphone app, or it'll be up here on the screens, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. We heard it read by Martha just a few minutes ago. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, King David's son from Israel. Now what you find as you go through the book of Proverbs is that Solomon actually is not the author of all of these things. But Solomon sort of functions as the fountainhead of wisdom within Israel. That Solomon prayed that prayer that he wants to become wise, and so he becomes sort of the fountainhead of the whole tradition. So they name him at the beginning. It's kind of like NFL coaching trees, that all winning coaches go back to Bill Parcells somehow, like through Bill Belichick. Sorry, Broncos fans, but I I think that's how it works out uh, in there. Or for those of you that are academics, it's the sense of like, well, this person studied with this person who studied with this person, and it all goes back. In my world, there's oftentimes conversation about, well, they studied with N.T. Wright, and then, you know, you kind of trace that back, and N.T. Wright becomes a fountainhead. Bill Parcells becomes a fountainhead. But here it's Solomon. It goes on, it says, their purpose is to teach wisdom and discipline to help one understand wise sayings. So they're naming right away the purpose of this book is to teach wisdom, which suggests that we actually don't know it, that we don't have it, that we're not, we don't suddenly come into the world as wise people. And it's not even guaranteed that when we get older, we get wiser. It's supposed to work out that way, but it doesn't always happen. And you can stop thinking about the person that you're thinking about right now. You're like, oh yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. But this is what they're intended to do. And it says they provide insightful instructions, which is righteous and just and full of integrity. They make the naive mature, the young knowledgeable and discreet, The wise hear them, and they what? They grow in wisdom. Do you notice that? It was the naive and the young and the wise. That this is actually for everybody at all times. That there's not sort of this place where suddenly we arrive. They're like, no, 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 I've I've got it all. No more wisdom for me, please. I've had my full Right? No, this is a sense that this is a lifelong journey that we all need and that everyone actually has access to. This isn't just something for like you reach this certain place and now suddenly you have access to this. But no, the naive and the young and the wise, this is something that we all pursue for our whole lives. It goes on, it says, the wise hear them and grow in wisdom. Those with understanding gain guidance. They help one, un- help one understand proverbs and difficult sayings, the words of the wise and their puzzles. Wisdom, then it ends this way, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The very first thing you want to observe out of this chapter is this, is that wisdom is founded on the fear of the Lord. 
It's founded on, it begins, it starts with the fear of the Lord. The journey to becoming wise begins with fearing God. And you might be sitting here going, wait, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> like we're supposed to love God, right? Not fear God. Like that, that doesn't make sense. Like we're called to love God. The God that we see revealed in Jesus is a God of love and we're called to love God, not fear him. These things seem to us like opposites and not just opposites, but they seem to be contradictory. They seem to be actually be in opposition to one another. You can't both love someone and fear them. That feels like that doesn't actually work. And for many of us, our experience in relationships and maybe even our experience in our foundational relationships with our parents, is it's an either-or thing. Either your parents feel loving to you or you're terrified of them. It doesn't feel for a lot of people that there's some middle ground in there, that it seems like one or the other, but throughout the scriptures, both are actually commanded. They were commanded to love God and to fear God. And actually, when we understand the depth of these words in Hebrew, they actually rightly and necessarily belong together. Because what we often do when we hear these words is that we equate love with warm feelings. And love can't be reduced to a warm, fuzzy emotion. And fear, we oftentimes equate with terror. But that's not actually the full breadth of what we're talking about here. It's not necessarily synonymous with, Taylor, with, with terror. One of, my, uh, one of my professors put it this way in an article that he wrote on Deuteronomy. He said, ancient Israel has here in the book of Deuteronomy learned that love and fear are not, in fact, mutually exclusive. In Deuteronomy, these things come up over and over again, but they actually complement one another so that love prevents terror and fear prevents irreverent familiarity. See, the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament is not about a holy terror. It's not about being terrified of God. It's about a divine reverence. It's a recognition that he is God and that we're not. It's a recognition of his otherness. It's a respect and an acceptance then of God's definition of right and wrong, true and false, good and evil, beautiful and ugly. It's saying you're God and I am not, and so you created this world and you get to define those categories. You get to say what is good and evil. That's not actually my job, it's yours. And it's then sort of uh, realizing what those boundaries are and saying, I will live within those boundaries. This is why oftentimes in the Old Testament, fear of the Lord is associated most often and sometimes even synonymous with humility. That to, to fear God is to be humble, is to recognize, oh, wait, there is a God and I am not him. It's an appropriate respect and awareness. Proverbs 22.4 says it this way, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord. They're setting them together. See, look, these are the same things. The reward of these is wealth and honor and life. See, we will never become wise if we believe we already are. 
We're like, ah, no, I don't actually need any help. <laughs> I've got all of life figured out. We'll never become wise if we believe that we know better than God. No, 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 God. You, you, this, this might be what you say, and this might be what your people have said, and this might be the, the great tradition of the church and the scriptures and all of those things, but we know better now. We've progressed into a new space of understanding. We'll never become wise if we believe our ways are superior to God's ways. We just won't. God made the world with a grain, and we have to learn what it means to live with the grain of the universe. So wisdom is founded on the fear of the Lord. It's rooted in humility to become wise. If this is really our pursuit, if we want to become wise, we begin by humbling ourselves. This is where we all begin. It's the recognition that we're not God, we don't understand all things, and we're going to need some help. The second thing that we see in this passage is that wisdom is actually learned by listening, which is something that we all just love to do. Right? Listening, that thing that just comes so naturally and easy for us in all of our relationships. Nobody ever complains that we didn't listen to them well enough at any point along the way. Proverbs 1, 5, 8, in that first passage says, the wise hear them. Even the wise continue to listen. They hear them and they grow in wisdom. The very next verse, as we continue along, Proverbs 1, verse 8, says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and don't neglect your mother's teaching. There's that word again. Listen, go into Proverbs chapter two. My son, accept my words and store up my commandments. That there is a sense that wisdom, since we don't have it, has to be learned. And the primary way that we learn is through listening by humbling ourselves and then opening our ears to hear, to listen. And specifically we see throughout the scriptures is that we become wise by listening to God's word and by listening to wise counsel. That these things are held together for us. That if wisdom is rooted in humility, it's actually resourced in community. That this is, we're rooted in humility, but we're resourcing from the word of God and from the people that are around us. We need it, we don't have it, so we have to look for it where it can be found. And it can be found in the scriptures and in the saints in the scriptures and in the people that are actually sitting around you right now, that there are wise people in our midst. And so the first thing that we're called to do then in listening is to listen to the word of God, to actually immerse ourselves in the holy scriptures, to prioritize these words above all other words in our life, to read and to keep reading to saturate ourselves in the stories and in the songs and the people and the places and the prayers that come to us in the scriptures, to allow the Bible to inform our mind and to actually form our imagination so that the way that we think and the way that we see the world actually is being fully sort of formed and guided for us through the Spirit by the scriptures. The way that we read the Bible is not to win at Bible Jeopardy, but to actually learn how to live skillfully in God's 
world. This is why Jesus says, the wise person is the one who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And what image does he use? He uses the image of building a house, which is a craft. It's an art. It's something that takes time and intention. Now, you may be sitting here and saying, that's great, but I actually have a really hard time reading the Bible. The Bible actually is a pretty hard book to read. If we're honest, it's written a long time ago in a land far, far, far away from here, right? There are cultural differences and language differences. We're so grateful for translations that do their best of getting Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek into something that we can understand. But there are times we're still going, I don't get it. Like, what does that mean? Why are they saying that? There's no shame in admitting that the Bible is hard to read. There's no shame in admitting that we actually need to learn how to read the Bible, that we need help in this. I remember for years after I became a Christian, sitting in, you know, in different worship services and stuff, and then the pastor would say something like, and you all know the story, and I would look around, like, I think everybody knows it but me. (laughs) I think they all know what he's talking about. I have no clue what Bethel is. Okay, I'm alone in this. And then I would go and try to open the scriptures, and more often than not, I would get bored or tired or fall asleep. Right? Like drool on my Bible. There's like way too many of those spots there. It took me years to learn how to read the Bible, and I'm still learning. I'm still learning how to read this book. So when you find yourself in that place, again, we go back to humility. Ask for help. Phone a friend. Watch and listen to everything that the Bible Project produces. Like, go to thebibleproject.com or .org or whatever it is and watch every video. Listen to every podcast. Just immerse yourself in whatever helpful tools that you have. So we learn by listening. We listen, first of all, to the Word of God. The second thing that we listen to is the wise counsel around us. You will never become wise by listening to fools. It just, it doesn't actually equate that way. So we're called to befriend the wise, to seek out a constellation of godly mentors. Not just one mentor, but lots of them. We resource in community. If you don't know how to do that, if you're like, I I need a mentor, I want a mentor, I just don't really know how that works, Pastor Evan and Pastor Martha, find them, raise your hands, guys, find them after the service. They put together a whole thing on mentoring formation here at New Life Downtown, how to train people to find a mentor and train people that want to be mentors and to help you kind of navigate those relationships because we need it. So find them afterwards. Look for godly counsel in every way that you can. Now let me just say real quick word here to the wise. Some of you have been following Jesus for a long time and you have grown in wisdom. And there is a tendency in our culture I think maybe largely because of the ways that we distance people as they get older in life. We distance them and push them to the margins of society, and it happens sometimes in church. But there's a tendency in our culture that when we get past like the raising kids time frame in our life or having teenagers, when our careers kind of start to peak, or we move into empty nest or retirement, there's a tendency for us to drift and to disengage to stop leading, to stop serving, 
For some, they say, I already, I already put in my time. It's somebody else's turn. For others, it's a, a feeling of not being wanted or not, want, or not being included. I want to plead to you on behalf of everyone sitting around you, please don't. Please don't do that. Please don't drift. Please don't disengage. Our kids and our teenagers need spiritual grandparents. They need you. Our singles, our newly marrieds, our parents, our professionals, they need spiritual guides. They need you. The church is a multi-generational community in Christ. It doesn't work without you and your gifts. It doesn't work. It's meant to be that the wise are leading and serving and sharing with those that are not there yet, who are looking for wisdom. And where are they going to go? They're going to go to you. They're meant to go to you. So I want to encourage you to say yes. Keep saying yes. If someone asks you, would you consider being my mentor? You might be saying like, I don't know what that means. And I don't know if I'm qualified to do that. Call Evan, call Martha, let them talk to you about it. Okay? Can you tell me what it means to be a mentor? Because someone asked me and that word feels scary to me. That's okay. It should feel a little scary because it's serious. Right? Say yes to serving. Say yes to volunteering. Say yes to leading a meal group and invite a bunch of people that are significantly younger than you or been following Christ less time than you into that space. We learn by listening. We listen to the scriptures and to the saints. The last thing that we see here is that wisdom actually ends in integrity. That what wisdom is meant to produce is integrity. There's a common assumption out there that wisdom will always lead to prosperity. That this is what gets talked about sometimes is that the guarantee or the promise of wisdom literature is that will lead to prosperity. That if we just do everything that the Proverbs say, then we'll get married to the person that we want to get married to, that we'll have the number of kids that we want to have, that we'll have that house with the view of Pikes Peak that we really have wanted to have, and that three-stall car garage for our extra toys, and we'll be able to climb the corporate ladder and become the youngest partner in the firm, and then we'll be able to start our own company and set our own hours, retire when we want to, hand this off to our kids and to our grandkids, and become a scratch golfer or our local club's pickleball champion. I'm sure Proverbs promises all of that if we just did it all. Let me say to you, Proverbs are not promises. They are not prophecies and they are not formulas. The Proverbs are general observations. They are observable patterns and probabilities that in general, if you follow this, it will go well for you. But there are times that it doesn't. That's why, again, Job and Ecclesiastes. <laughs> there are times that the righteous suffer and the wicked and the foolish prosper. Do this, and generally it will go this way, but not always. But what the wisdom literature does guarantee, what will happen is that wisdom will lead to integrity. It may not lead to prosperity in this life, at least our definitions of it all of the time. 
but it will lead to integrity, a life that is fully in sync with the character and nature of God, a life in which our beliefs are worked out in practice, where every area of our life is being formed and shaped by the gospel of Jesus. That is what lays at the end of this road, is that we will live with the fabric of the universe. Listen to how the Proverbs are described. They provide insightful instruction. What kind of instruction? Which is righteous and just and full of integrity. This is what they are. They will lead us in a path of justice and righteousness and integrity. James says it this way, what of the wisdom from above? First, it's pure and it's peaceful and it's gentle and it's obedient and it's filled with mercy and good actions. It's fair and it's genuine. Those who make peace sow seeds of justice by their peaceful acts. If this is the life that you're looking for, a life of peace and justice and righteousness and gentleness and kindness and mercy and love, then the wisdom literature is for you. If you're looking for them to be a kind of tools that we can manipulate into having everything that we want in this life, you're going to be disappointed. It will not work out that way, but it will lead to a life that looks like Jesus. It will lead to an integrated life where the gospel gets fully into us and gets worked out of us. But it doesn't mean that life is going to be easy and it doesn't mean that life is going to come without suffering. At times, in fact, wisdom may actually mean the opposite. Because we see actually in the scriptures that the clearest display of God's wisdom where the deep wisdom of God is put fully on display for all the world to see is on the cross. This is the wisest thing in the world, is the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul put it this way. He said, we preach Christ crucified, which is a scandal to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. Amen. The cross is the fullest picture of the wisdom of God. And so this is why every single week when we culminate our service, we come back to this table because we know that we're called to fear God, to have a divine respect for who he is. And we come humbly, open-handed. We don't come bringing all of our stuff, but recognizing our great need and asking Christ to teach us. And we come asking him to form us into his image and likeness, to lead us into a life of integrity, even when that life leads us to a cross. Because we know on the other side of the cross is resurrection, is life everlasting, is the kind of prosperity that ultimately awaits for us when his kingdom comes and his will is fully done on earth as it is in heaven. Evan, would you lead us to the table this morning?